Welcome to End of One, where a multi-viewed perspective on health is brought to light for anyone that wants to help change the world one fraction at a time by helping themselves first. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only. Any change in your diet, exercise, supplements, or medication needs to be assessed by a licensed physician. Hello and welcome. This is episode 7, The Final Descent. In this episode, we're going to be continuing on the last topic of conversation in regards to the gut. So last time we talked about the journey after the stomach and what occurred with the pancreas, what happened with the liver, what happened with the small intestine. And now we're going to continue on and learn what happens after that portion. We're gonna learn the main role of the large intestine. We're gonna learn about the different valves that are that are going to be inside of the large intestine that are very similar to those found in the small intestine. We're going to speak about the organ bacteria that is inside of us, and we're going to be discovering the why. Why are we why are we even having this conversation in the first place? And we're going to find out ways to figure out what is happening uh, through different modalities. So let's start off with the basics here, and we're going to learn the anatomy of the large intestine. So the first portion in order to even enter into the large intestine is what's called your ileocecal valve. It is where your ileum, the last part of your small intestine, meets the cecum, which is the first part of your large intestine. So it's called the ileocecal valve. The next portion that you're going to have that is just below that valve is called your appendix. As we go towards the head, we have a portion called the ascending colon. It's going to cross your body, and that's the transverse colon. Then you're going to have a descending portion which goes down. You're going to have your sigmoid colon, your rectum, and then your anus. So those are the components of your large intestine, the anatomy. And it's shaped um, almost like a U coming back up towards your head and going back down towards your feet. Um, At least that is the most common way that the colon can be placed inside of your gut. Uh, Sometimes with certain conditions, uh, with different parts of your abdominal viscera or your organs, um, that can it can shift, but typically that is the type of shape that you will see. Uh, but it can it can change, can and will change. So now, what what does the large intestine do? Um, there's going to be four main functions. Okay, it's going to be the reabsorption of water and mineral ions like sodium and chloride. It's also going to be the formation and the temporary storage of feces. And it's also going to be the home and pretty much having a resident population of over 500 species of bacteria. And we're going to end up having some more conversation about bacteria soon, but this will just be a little bit of an introduction of what uh, is happening inside the gut. And then the last thing that is happening along, you know, in connection with the bacteria is the fermentation of indigestible materials, okay? And we're going to learn about the pretty much like the symbiotic relationship that um, the gut has with the body and the body back with the gut. 
Now, during the introduction of the anatomy of the large intestine, the first part that I mentioned was the ileocecal valve. And if you remember, there was a pyloric and a esophageal, uh, they, we call them sphincters, but essentially it's going to be the, the door um, from the small intestine to the large intestine, just like there was a door from the esophagus into the stomach and from the stomach into the duodenum. There was certain sphincters or uh, valves, certain doorways that should maintain their, um, their closed position and then they open at the right time in order to allow the contents to flow through. If you recall from previous episodes, we emphasized that the opening and the closure of the valve or the sphincters all depended on the pH of the stomach acid. And we discussed how that when people have certain symptoms of acid reflux, that typically what happens is the pH is too basic. It's too alkaline. And therefore, that sphincter, that doorway from the esophagus to the stomach remains open. And therefore, when you're digesting food, as your stomach contracts involuntarily, though the content, the HCL, even though it's more basic, has the feeling of heartburn in the esophagus because it's ruining that lining, it's damaging the lining. The same concept of improper stomach acid and bacteria and other, other things that can happen affect the manner in which the ileocecal valve uh, opens and closes. And it has a particular relationship even with the stomach acid. So if the stomach acid is off, that throws the pH off. And if the liver doesn't do its job by making it basic by the time that it gets into the duodenum and um, as it cruises as the food contents, the bolus of food goes through your small intestine, the absorption happens. When you get to the large intestine, if the bacteria and the pH has shifted, the valve is not going to open and close properly. And you have to kind of remember, let's take a step back. If there are certain anatomical you know, parts of our bodies that are there, you have to think, okay, why? What is going on? Why would the body create a separation between the esophagus and the stomach, the stomach to the small intestine, and there's a separation from the small intestine to the large intestine, the ileocecal valve. And when we talked about the main functions of the large intestine, we talked about how there's a resorption of water and mineral ions. And um, there's a huge connection along with our large intestine back to our liver as well. So there's going to be, we're going to end up introducing a few topics here, but I just want to drop that, um, that the contents, when they talk about resorption, it's going back into the bloodstream. It's being taken again, because when you absorb something, it's coming into the body. When the body uses it and puts it back in, that's resorption. So that's just a, another way that you can think of it. The body is reutilizing those contents by bringing it back 
into the the bloodstream and back into the body inside like we talked about before with the small intestine when it goes into your esophagus it sits in your stomach it sits in your small intestine it's ready to be you know going through the absorption process it's not in your body until it crosses into the blood okay so now uh, I just want to emphasize when there are issues even from the you know the the top of the chain with the stomach acid and even not chewing your food properly we even talked about that before affects your stomach acid that stomach acid changes it pushes everything and shifts everything uh, the bacteria and the pH and therefore there can be problems with the ileocecal valve when the contents are trying to be formed into feces so even when we just talked about the main um, function of the large intestine it was to make feces it was the temporary storage of feces to be able to make feces so we wouldn't want the valve open between making feces and absorption with you know the main role of the small intestine um so that's that's one thing you can think about if things <laughs> if there's a door and it's supposed to be shut and only open at certain points and then shut again and if there's issues we have to think okay why why is it there what is it doing and why if it is being left open what is happening and why and that might be a little bit too much for this particular episode, but like I said, you know, during the introductory for the pilot episode, I'll be dropping a little hints here and there just to get you thinking and to go through the process of pretty much, yeah, how, how to think in these situations so that you can search better, you can study better, and you're able to understand the information more clearly and make a better decision for yourself. So our body's gonna be doing the best job it can to break down the food through chewing, through the stomach acid, and through absorbing the nutrients into the bloodstream. Now, there are certain components that we cannot digest. And I was hinting before with the 500 different type of uh, types of bacterial species that exist in our large intestine and they're there for many reasons and we're going to kind of go down a list one of them is the ability to ferment undigested macronutrient material so macronutrients think carbs fats and proteins um, and other and other contents so you need to realize that our body, with the, the, with the manner in which the fats, proteins, and other contents in our body can be connected to each other, um, our body does need help and it can't do everything itself. So there is a symbiotic relationship between the bacteria that lives on us and in us in order for our digestion and for our absorption to even occur um, so we're going to continue this a little bit further by having the macronutrients being broken down through fermentation and 
the manner in which the bacteria interact with our immune system. They help produce vitamins like vitamin K. And if you know anything about vitamin K, we know that is associated with blood clotting. And you know, for example, if someone is taking some type of blood thinner um, of any kind, over-the-counter, uh, fish oil is a, also does a uh, blood thinning component, but it does in a different pathway than some other medications, just as an FYI. Um, but like warfarin, for example, as a, as a blood thinner. Um, the contraindication for a supplement is vitamin K because you don't want to be giving someone who is on a blood thinner, give them a clotting factor, which is vitamin K. Um, and also, continuing on, the manner in which the bacteria are there affecting our immune system stimulates the release of hormones um, that are involved in storage of fats and influencing our mood and our feeling of well-being. And I can't remember if I mentioned this in the la uh, one of the last podcasts, but um, a majority of our serotonin, which is a type of neurotransmitter, um, and just as a review for neurotransmitter, they're the manner in which our nervous system communicates, which is many ways they can do through hormones uh, and neurotransmitters as well. But serotonin um, is the majority of how we store it is within our gut, within our viscera. And it travels through nerves to get to our brain. So our brain's not going to store the uh, store the uh, that that amounted um, it's it's been structured anatomically and neurologically in certain ways that they are separate and serotonin just remember is the it's the feel-good hormone um, you know uh, when we talked about our feeling of well-being um, when our gut is doing good our brain's doing good and there is this flow between our brain and our gut in order to have them communicate in order for things to go well. And as a fun little side, side fact for you guys, um, in order to produce what's called melatonin, which is the, uh, the component that's going to make us feel uh, sleepy and help us um, calm down, get ready for bed, be able to sleep well. It's it's uh, you need serotonin first. There's a a pathway, a biochemical pathway, uh, that needs to happen in order uh, for for us to get melatonin, and first we need serotonin. So we need good gut health, um, in or not only because, for example. Um, not only do we need to absorb the, the, the supplies, so to say, let's say we're making an art project. We need all the supplies, right? Well, not only do you need the supplies, but you need the people to put it together. You have people who can put it together very well. You can, like a, a mild, moderate, or a very poor job. Or you could have a mild, moderate, uh, you know, perfect job done. So not only does our body need the supplies, but, the, but it is also the manner in which the nervous system directs the uh, compiling and the building of all these materials to create human life. So that's just a little, a little side, side note of that. I also want to just kind of put a shift in perspective. 
So we typically think that, um, that the population of bacteria that's in our gut just like happens to be there. And I like to stress or make the argument that, um, that the gut bacteria is actually a body organ. It's pretty much like an organ bacteria. Or, um, it's pretty much not that, um, you know, we have our intestines and the bacteria just happen to be there, but it was built and structured because the bacteria were already there and it's pretty much their own organ. It's pretty much their, it's pretty much their wheelhouse. They, they, they run, they run a lot with, um, our, like I said before, our immune system, our hormones, uh, the manner in which we can fight infections. Um, if there is, for example, like, uh, if someone doesn't, uh, completely take all their antibiotics, uh, and there is a shift in the homeostasis of our gut bacteria, like for example, E. coli, um, we have E. coli within our bodies. It's just that when the good guys, so to say, like the good bacteria end up diminishing, the bad guys who are really, really strong end up staying and they proliferate because there is a shift. And then that's when people can get sick. Um, so there is this balance of, and I hate to use the word good and bad, but typically people understand those concepts and they can, they can manage that. Um, but like I said, what's to be recognized and what is very important is that there is the symbiotic relationship with our body and um, the bacteria and also within the bacteria themselves. They all work with each other and they all play a component, um, like I said, anywhere from our immune system, our hormones, uh, the manner in which um, our DNA and how we change and how we can just be the people who we are. Um, so that is very, if there is any lesson that you can remember to, for today, I would, I would take that one. And you might also hear the, um, the gut uh, nervous system be called the enteric nervous system. And usually if you read a few books, you already know that's referred to as the second brain. The reason why is because it can, the enteric nervous system can start by itself. It actually doesn't need the central nervous system for it to do its job, but the central nervous system can shut it down. So when we talk later in later episodes about the um, system that we have in our body that is automatic and it is the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. So our autonomic nervous system can be split into two portions, which is the sympathetic, parasympathetic. Sympathetic is going to be your fight or flight. Your parasympathetic is going to be your rest, digest, and protect. And depending on the manner in which our nervous system adapts to the internal and external environment, it's going to push more towards a sympathetic or more towards a parasympathetic and the homeostasis between the two because technically we should be shifting back and forth, adapting to stress, come, and that would be like a, being sympathetic, kind of ramping up fight or flight and be able to calm down and rest and, and get over that and then move on. 
And that component, the autonomic nervous system, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic, can and will shut down the gut motility, uh, stomach acid, the, the whole bit, the whole thing. So even though it can operate by itself and bringing uh, hormones and uh, uh, messages to the brain uh, that influence, um, you know, our, like I said, our well-being, our being hunger, being full, there's obviously there's, there's going to be, a, you know, responses that need to occur back to the brain for you to consciously realize the things that are happening. Um, and just as another note, that autonomic system, that sympathetic or the parasympathetic, because it's autonomic, it's automatic, that is the component that I talked about in the first episode that the 95 to 99% of things that occur right now is the autonomic nervous system. That 5 to 1% is the only component in which we are actually conscious, aware of what happens, if, if that, if it even comes through, comes through the system. So just as, a, as another component, um, you might ask yourself, okay, so why would a, because I'm a chiropractic student, why would a, a chiropractor or another, um, you know, holistic practitioner, I'm not a practitioner yet, but hopefully soon be, <laughs> if everything goes well, why, why would we care about this? Why, what is, what's the, what's the whole relationship, right? So we see the symptoms as the metaphor of it's just the it's just the smoke alarm going off okay if there is a fire and just as a side note not not all metaphors are going to be perfect but hopefully we can get the point for just the basics of helping to spread a message right so the symptoms that we have like bloating excessive gas abdominal pain acid reflux diarrhea constipation bloody stool um heck hemorrhoids some I'm, I'm thinking large intestine now but all these different things that can happen to the human body is it's just the alarm going off okay the smoke's there the fire's still going yes if you really want to you can go ahead and just take off the, the fire alarm from the ceiling and no it stops beeping it's not annoying anymore and you can just go to the next room maybe cover up the smoke and you can be fine in just your room but you know, why does a chiropractor, what is it, why does even a med another medical doctor, why do we care? It's because it's just the tip of the iceberg. There's these underlying factors that are happening that can express underlying pathology, okay? Like, for example, B12 deficiency, Crohn's disease, IBS, colon cancer, you name it. You, there's, a, there's a whole entire list. And it's not to say if you have these symptoms by any means that that is what's happening, but as a practitioner, what we do is that we don't just take that one component that's happening with someone. We take all the pieces of the, of the patient's or the, the person's life, and we try to create a clinical story in order to figure out what's happening. So we have the basic sciences, we have research, we have our experience, and we also have our colleagues in order to help you know, teach us what they have seen with other people and what has worked. So it's really nice as well is because um, you'll hear a lot of chiropractors try to think ahead for people, okay? They see these signs. Um, they could be subtle. They could not be subtle. Or sometimes they actually are completely innocent 
Um, but like I said, we, we put all the, the whole entire picture together to figure out what is happening for people in order for people to have the best health so that they don't just get uh, to a pathological state so they don't end up you know, just having to keep going on this path and then also in two years later they have something going on. We sometimes look for those subtleties in order to help people. So like how do we figure that out, right? There's, there's different manners in which our body is going to respond. Um, that's going to be through the environment. It's going to be through stress. That can be physical, chemical, and emotional, just like we talked about in the first podcast. It could be food sensitivities. It could be allergies. Um, heck, even for, you know, particularly with women, a lot of abdominal issues, pelvic issues, can be um, misdiagnosed by ha like uh, women having endometriosis. There can be other things underlying. So if, like, you think it's in one area, it doesn't necessarily have to be just from there. It, things can spread and things can have referral pain. So sometimes when you, and we can discuss this in another episode, pain isn't always, it's a helpful hint to be like, yo, <laughs> something's happening. But it doesn't always point you in the right direction. It can be very, it can be very mis, uh, misleading. Uh, so... You know, we just have to keep that in mind. So how do we, how would also we figure this out? We can take labs, um, whether it be through, I know we're talking about the large intestine, but the manner in which, um, you know, water absorption, reabsorption, kidneys, we also have our genital uh, uh, urinary system. So our, our GI tract and our GU tract in order for us to expel uh, waste products. So uh, in connection with what's happening with the gut is also happening with the kidneys, the ureters, the bladder, the whole, we can put the whole thing together. So it could be a urine analysis, we could do a stool, um, we can do blood tests to figure out there's if certain deficiencies, because once you have certain deficiencies or we can see your blood work, we know or we have a clue what this typically means and we know a path to go down. Or if, if we really need to, we can do some type of imaging or some type of endoscopy. You'll hear people, we talked about the large intestine, you know, sigmoid, uh, uh, descending, transverse, and the ascending, that's what they do. They're trying to see inside of the large intestine to find out are there certain type of lesions? Are there a certain type of inflammation that is happening inside of the tube? Is it is the um, anatomy different now? So there's all these different ways to really figure out what's going on um, if it actually is, you know, serious. Um, but if you do have, you know, questions, find a licensed physician, whether it be a chiropractor, a medical doctor, um, osteopathy, whatever, whatever you need, whatever you are, whatever you have available, and the people that you trust, um, in order to to help provide you the full picture of what is happening, to put together the environmental uh, stresses, the physical, chemical, emotional stresses, the possible food sensitivities, um, and all the other things that can happen. Go figure it out. Uh, learn more about it. This podcast, this episode uh, in particular, like these are just all ways that you can start your journey to learn more. And I do that by a whole mixture of what I've learned in school, what I've seen with patients, and um, what we find in the research. And putting this whole picture together in order to help you 
well, not you specifically, because I'm, I'm not giving suggestions about, you know, what to do, but, you know, trying to use, utilize all that in order to help you understand more to, for you to make a better decision about what's happening in your life. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Please, if you learn something, if you like it, share it. Put it on Facebook. Make an Instagram post if you really want to. And tell tell your friends and family if you if you learn something and you can help take care of yourself better give give them that gift give them that tool that's going to give them power um because the change is going to be by giving people the power and that power is knowledge and making better decisions for people's lives in order for them to have the most optimal life that they can possibly have and to spread that out to the community and the country than the world. So if you would like to follow on Instagram, which I would really suggest that you do so you can get updates and different things I'll be posting throughout the year. Uh, I switched over to a new account on Instagram. It is N of one official. And you can go ahead, uh, hit follow and um, send me any suggestions that you have. I want to hear if this is beneficial. Or if you're, if this is you know too basic or what is happening, just give me some feedback, share it with your friends, and I wish you guys the best. This is N of One signing out. Mm-hmm.